1: everybody loses it. And even your friends who you never see it, like, you know, maybe their version of losing it is either less intense or less frequent than yours. And that's certainly possible, but they're still having their moments when they're feeling out of control and overwhelmed by big feelings and, you know, having these sort of rough reactions to their kids. Everybody does this. So let's just start there. You're
0: listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 181 Today we're talking about how to stop losing your beep with your kids, with Carla Nomberg. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast, here it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Field's Mindful Mama mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course, and I'm the author of the upcoming new book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back, dear listener. I am so glad you're here in just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with my good friend, Carla Nomberg, to talk to her about her new book, which comes out today How to Stop Losing Your Beep at Your Kids. And Carla Nomberg, she is a licensed clinical social worker. She's a parent coach, a writer, and a speaker. And she's the author of three parenting books Ready, Set, Breathe. Parenting in the Present Moment, and of course, this new one. So I'm so excited for you to join Carla and I. You may have heard her on the podcast in one of her many other appearances on the Mindful Mama podcast, because she's a good friend, and I love her and has a lot of good things to say. <laughs> so in this episode, we I want you to join us and listen as we talk about why do we yell and how can we stop, basically. And we're going to talk about how to stop losing it with your kids and I want you to listen for three um, important things that I think I really would love for you to take away from this conversation number one it is not about willpower number two everyone loses it sometimes and this is exciting, new, you know, to think about. And number three is that we can stop at any point in the freak out. So I can't wait for you to join me for this conversation. Before we dive in, I want you to let you know that my Mindful Parenting free training is coming up really soon. The Mindful Parenting course is going to be going live again in fall of 2019, and it is going to be part of the new Mindful Parenting membership. So exciting. So we have shifted things around, but we are still keeping our uh, our fun and insightful free training, which really teaches you so much about why kids are not listening to you and some things that you can do about it. So you can learn more about this. I invite you to and sign up now. You can go to com slash events and find the free training on that page. Uh, I'm telling you to go to my events page because we might be changing that URL. So go to the com events page and you will um, see what is happening and join the free training It is going to run uh, from September 16th through 19th but as soon as you join you'll get some amazing free resources right away so please go ahead and join that go to mindfulmommamentor.com and join the mindful parenting free training woohoo um, and now On to this episode with Carla Nomberg. Carla, thank you so much for coming back to the Mindful Home Podcast. Hunter, I'm so happy to talk to you. It feels like it's been a while. I feel like I haven't talked to you in so long, but I'm so excited to talk to you today because today is a really special, exciting day for you and me and for all the world because today is the release date. August 20th, of your
1: new book. (laughs) So we're not going to say the official title of my book, Hunter, because we're keeping it clean. Yeah, we are keeping it clean. So tell us the title. Okay, I'm going to beep myself, but the word's actually in there in the book. It's called How to Stop Losing Your Beep with Your Kids.
0: Yes, yes. And it's the S word. And we're going to try to not say it here too. So in case you're listening with your kids, you don't feel so uh, awkward about it. No, we're
1: not going to say it. We're not going to say it. Yeah,
0: we're not going to say it. But this is this really important and exciting topic. And I wanted to ask you, Carla, about, I mean, you've written a a number number of other parenting books. You've written Parenting in the Present Moment, talking about mindfulness and sharing mindfulness with kids, um, Ready, Set, Breathe. And so, so what brought you around to, I mean, cause like I can think of for me, uh, my, anyway, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that you're thinking that almost it all boils down to this super important topic of how to not stop losing it so much with our kids, right? Like, so, so walk us through what, what made you want to write about this particularly. Yeah,
1: that, so there, a bunch of factors kind of came together to create this book. One is, look, this is the work of my personal and professional life over basically the past decade. You know, I, um, I was absolutely losing my temper with my children, and that began this journey into the world of mindfulness and self-care and self-understanding and insight and self-compassion and all of these things that I, it was a huge chunk of work that I had to do and am still doing. Uh, to stay calm and patient in challenging moments. And, you know, in my writing and in my work with parents, i work with so many parents who are struggling with this. And so it was a topic that I really wanted to tackle in a deeper way. And I know it's also a source of deep, deep shame for many parents. They feel uh, terrible, guilty, and ashamed when they lose it with their kids. And so I wanted to figure out a way to write about it Um, that I hope would feel really accessible to parents, that they could pick up the book and know that there would be humor in it and know that it was real and honest and authentic and that we're all in this together. And that I, my goal in this book is to offer really useful, concrete, evidence-based practical information without making anybody feel worse. So that's, that was, that's my hope. And so that's why I picked this title for this book. That's why I use the S word in the book. Um, that's why there's a lot of humor because I really wanted people to feel like this is a thing I can talk about or read about or think about without feeling horrible. That's so important.
0: Cause I mean, that's one of the big problems with a lot of books that we read out there is that we learn this kind of ideal and then we feel like crap because we can't, we're not living up to this ideal. Now, I imagine that like myself, when your girls were little, that you, I mean, for me anyway, the, the thing about losing my temper is that you're just not in adult life before you have children. Like you're just not, I mean, at least I wasn't exposed to that many instances where I would like get so frustrated or, or angered or frankly enraged. Like that just wouldn't, I wouldn't be in situations like that as an adult being in the world. And then going into parenting was so surprising. Like I was so shocked and surprised about how much uh, anger and frustration was arising in me. And I, you know, I'm wondering is, was it the same for you? Like, it was just like,
1: was it like a surprise that this was happening? Oh, absolutely! I, I never considered myself a yeller, and I, you know, my husband and I maybe got into a couple fights. Um, they would get a little loud, but those were pretty infrequent. Um, and so, when I had my daughters, and I was yelling at them on a regular basis, and it was really becoming a, a fairly habitual response to them in difficult moments, uh, it absolutely took me by surprise, and I was. I, I was lost. I was, uh, I didn't know what to do. And it took me a long time to realize that it was a symptom. Um, when I was losing my temper with my kids, it, for me, and there's a lot of different ways this can go down for folks, but, um, it was a symptom of my postpartum anxiety mm. and other things I was struggling with, but that level of irritability. And look, here I am a clinical social worker and I couldn't recognize it in myself. So if our, if our listeners out there, you know, at this point have no idea why they're yelling, well, you know, join the club. I I was in that club too. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's it's pretty typical. It's a hard thing to get a handle on it first.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's look at that. Like, why are we yelling? Why are we losing it? Why is so much anger and
1: frustration arising in us? So- Here's how I propose in the book because I wanted to think about this in a way that would be relevant for any readers And there are many different reasons why we lose it. But um, in the book, I talk about buttons and triggers so I look at it from a neurobiological point of view that when um, We are in a difficult moment with our children uh, Or when we are triggered by really anything in our life that feels like a threat or a challenge our body, our nervous system can go into what I call our fight, flight, freeze, or freak out response. <laughs> and so we usually learn about fight or flight, right? And this this mm-hmm. is evolutionary, uh, evolutionary 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 um from way back you know with the woolly mammoths that if an animal was coming at us our bodies evolved that we have all of these internal changes that prepare us to either fight this animal or run away from it so um our bodies are flooded with stress hormones and our pupils dilate and our heart rate goes up and our breathing gets faster and our muscles tense up and we're ready to leap into physical action so now you know thousands of years later humans are here in this place where we may not be faced with a physical threat but it feels more like a relational or emotional or social threat yet our bodies are still reacting in this physical way and for many of us we don't actually want to fight our children and we don't feel like we can run away from them although I may or may not have locked myself in the bathroom a time or two (laughs)
0: Um,
1: and for some people do actually freeze and really get sort of disassociated and kind of paralyzed in the moment and for many of us we freak out We yell, so we've got all this nervous, tense energy. Our body wants to kind of leap into action, and that takes the form of yelling or shouting or snapping or slamming doors or even throwing things or hitting our children. And so what I encourage readers to do throughout the book is to start to see and take a really broad view of what might be going on in our lives that triggers this fight, flight, freeze, freak out response. And um, in the book, what I talk about is that these triggers light up our nervous system. And I, I, the metaphor I use is I talk about our buttons. And I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, Hunter. Mm-hmm. When we are triggered, our buttons get big and red and bright and super sensitive. And guess what a kid does when they see a button? They push that button. Oh my gosh. They push and they push and they jam oh. their little fingers into it. <laughs> and then we lose it. Yeah. And sometimes, so, you know, it could be any number of things that can light up our buttons. It may be that we're in some kind of physical pain, that we haven't slept well, that we're dealing with a challenging situation at work or with colleagues, that we had a weird interaction with a friend and the friend said something and we don't know how, quite what to make of it. We may be worried about financial issues. We may have just gotten some bad news or a flat tire. We may be grieving a loss. I mean, it's, it's any number of things that can kind of light up those buttons and then again, our kids come along and sometimes they're behaving actually in very normal, kid-appropriate ways. And sometimes they're actually being quite obnoxious. But either way, our buttons are so sensitive that they get very easily pushed and we lose it. Mm-hmm. So one of the the things, the approaches that's different about my book than other books is a lot of books talk about how do we get our kids to stop pushing our buttons. Mm-hmm. and Good, good um, luck with that. Right. Exactly. Like if anybody can write that book and it actually works dude, please, please write that book right now and send me a copy. But the truth is, you know, we do want to teach, keep teaching our children how to be thoughtful and aware and patient and respectful and kind and, you know, grow up to be functional human beings. Of course we want to do that, but we can't have our own behavior hinge on them doing that.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, if we're going to model being kind and patient and thoughtful and all those things, like, you know, our kids are are learning from our modeling. So we can get stuck in this negative cycle or, you know, we can get stuck in a positive cycle, but yeah, like our kids need to learn. They need to see how it's done from us. So yeah. And plus it's ridiculous to imagine that we're going to put our own emotional well-being is going to is all going to be in the hands of an, a crazy kid. little two and a half year old like that's like that's just not a, a good life plan for like emotional right. stability <laughs> like <laughs> and I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out especially if you ever deal with any school system which you probably do Is called understood explains I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast
2: app. That's it, Understood Explains. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, Possibility and joy.
1: So, really, the goal here is to kind of own our stuff, figure out our triggers, the things that light up our buttons, and then do what we can to take, manage those triggers when we can, and take care of ourselves so that ultimately we make our buttons less pushable. And I will tell you, um, the time when my buttons were sort of so dark and dim and not at all sensitive, I went on a silent meditation retreat. For I don't know three days or something and I came back and Hunter I was like the freaking dolly mama like I was like yes my child anything you want (laughs) what you're rubbing peanut butter all over my face I love it it's delightful like seriously (laughs) and of course it lasted like I don't know eight hours and then I was losing it again and so for most of us going on a silent meditation retreat all the time isn't really feasible so I was really looking for practices that we can do um to make our buttons less pushable and that are sustainable in an ongoing daily life, busy life kind of way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I just want to underscore what what you're saying, which is, you know, this is, this is neurobiological. This isn't, this isn't our fault. This is just yes. the way we are. This is not your fault. Your anger is arising for All kinds of other, you know, all kinds of life stressors are happening. Parenting is incredibly stressful. They're all the different stressors of life but it's not it's not your fault yet we have to kind of what you're i like what you're saying that we have to own it right we can't be putting it gives our children too much power to say your behavior is going to make or break me and is going to make or break my emotional life right like that's giving them way way too much power and that would that's over you know that's not what anybody needs so if this isn't our fault, but we have to take responsibility for this, nonetheless, and to to be able to make
1: the change. It has to come from us, is what you're saying. Absolutely, and look, if they're taking responsibility for things that fundamentally aren't our fault, is like a fundamental definition of parenting. So <laughs> do that um, absolutely, and it's it's incredibly empowering to know that. It is possible to stay calm even when your kids are out of control. But I really, in this book, I really wanted to debunk the myth that it's about willpower. That we should be able to just like kinda white knuckle our way through these difficult moments um, and that if we can't do it, we are somehow not as good a parent or weaker than other parents. That is absolutely not true. You know, when we're losing it, it's part of the human experience. It really is a fundamental human experience. And for those of us who lose it more often, like, first of all, everybody loses it. And even your friends who you never see it, like, you know, maybe their version of losing it is either less intense or less frequent than yours. And that's certainly possible, but they're still having their moments when they're feeling out of control and overwhelmed by big feelings and, you know, having these sort of rough reactions to their kids. Everybody does this. So let's just start there. Um, and the other thing I want to remind parents of is that because we're all wired so differently and because we were all raised in such different families, we all come into this parenting thing with this different set of buttons. And some of us don't have as many buttons as others. And some of us, our buttons aren't so sensitive. You know, for me, I'm like covered in these buttons. And, you know, there's a lot of things that trigger them. For example, loud sounds and noises. Absolutely yeah. set me on edge, and being in crowds of people like I, a, a lot of sensory things, for example, are are a big trigger for me um, Strong smells, loud noises, bright lights, being in crowds all of that absolutely sets me on edge and my husband he 's oblivious to it he doesn 't even notice it, so for him, yay, like that makes parenting easier because he can have kids crawling all over him, and it doesn 't make him all tense and stressed. And my kids crawl all over me and I'm like, oh my gosh, somebody put me in a sensory deprivation chamber because I'm about to freak out. And Ooh, so Carla, but, interjecting
0: yeah. here for a second. Yes. <laughs> and for the listener, uh, just keeping conversational, but sensory, de- you should try floating. It's amazing what is that? <laughs> floating. Float? You mean like <laughs> just go to a lake and float cuz I do that. No, 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 no. So for for you Carla and for the listener this is like amazing thing that's popping up all around the country which is called float spas and you ah. literally put yourself into a dark little chamber where it's <gasps> like uh, it's like a pool of salt water like very very I highly salinated see. water like yeah it's like a thousand I don't know it's like a lot of of salt anyway and you just you you're so buoyant with that much salt that you just float there completely effortlessly at the perfect temperature and it's completely dark and you can float for an hour, or you can float for two hours, or something like that. I have to say that I floated a couple of times, and floating for an hour, I was like, wow, I could almost do more. Except I kind of have to pee now. But don't <laughs> pee in the float. Do not do that, Hunter. It's it's uh, it's an incredibly meditative, relaxing experience. So you can do the sensory deprivation chamber. It's it's That's amazing. You should try it. Are you frustrated with parenting? Do you want to practice conscious, compassionate parenting, but you don't know how? It's not easy, and there's no roadmap for this, until now. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, creator of the Mindful Parenting course, and I know how frustrating it is because I've been there. I struggled as a young mom, and when I found myself yelling and triggered by my child, I knew there had to be a better way, and there is. Mindful Parenting is different from other parenting trainings. They don't tell you that all of that good advice is as good as useless when our internal stress response is triggered mindful parenting teaches you research-based tools and practices to reduce your stress response so that you can respond rather than react. And it teaches you exactly what to say so that you can create willing cooperation from your child. You can learn more and enroll at mindfulparentingcourse.com and you can join us for a free live training coming up soon where you'll learn why your kids don't listen to you, how your brain undermines your parenting, and how to create cooperative kids without losing your temper. Sign up now at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. I'll see you there.
1: Now that I've completely
0: taken you off course, I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) No, that's legit. I want to try this floaty thing. But the point is, I guess, is that we all have different triggers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so part of what I talk about in the book and explore a lot is how do you figure out what your triggers are? And some of them are incredibly common. You know, uh, exhaustion and sleep deprivation. Pretty common trigger. I don't know anybody who can function great, you know, when they're exhausted. Um, Chronic pain. That's a huge trigger for anybody who's got it. you know. So some of them are really quite common and universal, and some of them are very, very unique. And figuring out what lights up your buttons is a really crucial first step to um, understanding how to manage that and how to take care of your buttons so that ultimately they are harder for your kids to push.
0: So you're suggesting this fundamental attitude of mindfulness, which is the attitude of curiosity, right? For ourselves, like moving away from judgment of ourselves, you know, I'm such a bad person, I'm this, I'm that, and moving towards this attitude of curiosity. Okay, what is making me lose it? And, and, and just kind of becoming like a scientist. I mean, do you recommend like uh, tracking, tracking the triggers?
1: I think anything that works for people. So yes, Mm -hmm. tracking triggers works for some folks. I know for me that the minute somebody tells me to start tracking something and write it down, I become like a petulant high schooler. Like I'm not going to do that homework. So for me, fortunately, um, my kids were actually giving me plenty of time opportunities to practice. (laughs) Um, And so for me, it was just a lot of noticing. That was, and that's something I talk about a lot in the book, but starting to notice. But yes, curiosity, I mean, Hunter, you nailed it. Can we get curious about our own experience? Um, And it's, that's actually something I talk about specifically, uh, the power of getting curious after we've lost it with our kids. Because let's face it, you know, we're going to do the best we can, and we're all going to lose it sometimes. And that's okay. Like, that's, that's just a part of the typical parent-child relationship. The problem is when you're losing it so frequently, that that becomes like a, a really dominant, way in which you're interacting with your children, that's the big problem. But, you know, infrequent occasional freakouts, not a problem. Um, assuming that nobody's being injured and it's, you know, it's really not damaging your relationship. So anyways, for me it was just noticing. And I started to notice a lot of my triggers. Um, and some of them I can't really do anything about it. Like I need sleep. I am highly sleep dependent and exhaustion is a major trigger and that's never going to change. So I just have to sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, But if there are other triggers, you know, I talk to parents sometimes, often moms who tell me that when they spend time with a certain other mom, who's their friend, um, they come away feeling like they doubt themselves as parents. They feel really confused, kind of ashamed. They feel like their kids aren't good enough. And then guess what? they go home and they're all this like ball of tense, stress, doubt, confusion, their kid does something and they're much more likely to snap. And so one of the things we talk about is, look, spending time with this particular woman is a trigger for you. And so how can you start to put up some boundaries or spend less time with her? And it doesn't mean she's a bad person and it doesn't mean you're a weak person. It just means you're not a good match. Hmm. And so some triggers we really can get some space from and hopefully like remove from our lives, and some triggers we just have to learn how to manage them. And it all starts with that curious attitude.
0: Yeah. When I tried when I started to figure out my triggers, you know, it it was interesting. Like some things, you know, just kind of understanding it itself, like, oh, when you know, when I feel like I'm not being listened to, (laughs) this is like a huge trigger for me. Just Mm -hmm. kind of, just having that understanding lessened its power a lot. Just even, just even knowing that this was happening, having the information can, have you found that to be true for other people that
1: just having the information can reduce the trigger? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is why I find it for, for people who are having a hard time kind of thinking through this on their own, if there is anybody in your life who knows you well, that you trust, can you have a conversation with them about it? So um, I know that for better, or for worse, I get a little too touchy around my husband. And if he tried to tell me about my triggers, I'd be like, wow. shut up, you have triggers too, go away. Ditto, ditto. Yeah, it totally <laughs> doesn't work. For me, a therapist was really helpful. Some people find that, you know, talking to their girlfriends or if there's like a member of the clergy who you really trust and support, really any like adult in your life that you think you could have a non-defensive conversation with, um, sometimes talking to people. And for some people, journaling is really, really useful or tracking them. Like any of these things will work, just whatever works for you. I mean, for me, I just tried to really adopt that curious attitude and start to notice and talking to my therapist. Both of those things were very helpful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Good. Okay. Good. So once we've identified our triggers, we've figured out some things that were being triggered by, what are some of the tools and steps and practices that we can do to, to stop freaking out so much?
1: So I, there's sort of a two-prong approach. One is um, what are the practices that you can use to uh, kind of take care of your buttons? Calm them down. So obviously you're going to try to get rid of the triggers that you can, but then there are other triggers that are just going to be there. And so what are the practices that you can do to kind of counteract the effects of those? And guys, this is nothing you haven't heard before, right? You know this. And when I give talks and I say, tell me what I'm about to tell you, they all tell me, because this is really common stuff. But I want people to start thinking about this, not just as self care, but as an absolute requirement. If you don't want to lose it with your kids right? And so again, these practices, um, and when I say practice, what I mean is something you're going to do over and over again so you can get better at it, right? It's okay if it's hard at first. It's okay if you're not very good at it at first. That's why we practice things, to get better. Mm -hmm. So these practices, um, I want you to pick the ones that work for you. So I've given like 11 in the book, and I'm going to highlight just a few of them. Again, you know what I'm about to say. You got to sleep you have to sleep, you must sleep. And if you're not getting sleep, you have to have a huge amount of compassion for yourselves. So self-compassion is a huge one because it's really hard to function when you're not sleeping. Um, and self-compassion just comes in a lot of different ways. So that's another one. Getting support. I have a whole chapter um, on the different sort of sources of support. Some of them are these really close people, confidants, um, people we can really call up in you know, at 10 o'clock when we're a mess and just cry about how we lost it with our kids. But then we also need professional support in the form of pediatricians and teachers and babysitters, really anybody that you're going to for their expertise. That's a really important source of support. And then yeah. I also. Talk, yeah. yeah. Um, can I just interject
0: there? I, mean, I just want to give a shout out to some of the sources, two sources of support, which were incredible when my oldest daughter was little was her her Montessori teacher, um, Holly Knox, shout out to you if you're listening, who's one of the most amazing teachers ever. And just having, ha- having that, uh, being able to talk to her a little bit was incredibly helpful. And then a shout out to my 12-year-old <laughs> babysitter who would come while I was in the house. She was kind of like a mother's helper, I guess you would call amazing. her. And she would just take my child and go for a walk and take my child and go play with her. And she was $5 an hour at the time, which was amazing. And this homeschooled kid, and now she's like a 20 something, and she's just going to be president one day. But anyway, um, yes, those things, it doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, you know, it was like a couple hours a week, but it made a huge, huge, huge difference.
1: And here's what I want to say really quickly about support. Number one is, Just having another adult or adult-ish person in the house can bring down people's stress levels and help them feel less triggered if for no other reason than you just know you're not alone. Mm. Even if they're not being super helpful with the kid, for lots of people, actually being alone with a child is a sort of terrifying experience, even if they don't realize it. And having another adult around can just dramatically decrease the stress levels. And I remember when my kids were little... I would set up playdates all the time with moms. You know, the kids were too little for drop-off playdates at that point. But I I could just tell that there was something about having another adult with me that decreased my stress a huge amount. Yeah, Um, someone who understands the situation.
0: But
1: but like, even if it was somebody who didn't want to, I think on some level, because I was still dealing with postpartum anxiety, just knowing that God forbid, if something should happen, there's another person there. Like on some really deep level, that helped me feel better. So that may resonate with some listeners. Um, The other thing I would say is that you know you're with your supportive people. If you come away from time with them feeling empowered, supported, confident, and calm, if you spend time with folks and you come away feeling confused, doubtful, ashamed, anxious, Those are not your people. That's not your support team. And whether it's the most well-known physician on the planet or just the mom you always run into at pickup, you know, feeling that way is not how you wanna feel even if you think they know so much about parenting. And Mm -hmm. what I really encourage parents to do is if you're seeing or spending time with people on a regular basis, and again, this is that sort of curious noticing. Notice how you feel with them. Um, and you start doubting all your parenting decisions and become kind of frantic about needing to change things up and blah, 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 don't do that. Like, get some space from those folks if you can. Don't engage with them. They're not the right people for you. So Mm -hmm. a thing to think about. Um, One of my big kind of practices to help parents stay calm and really reduce the energy to their buttons is single tasking, doing one thing at a time. And when I talk to a room full of parents about this, especially mothers, I see a ton of skeptical faces like, oh, honey, (laughs) if you only knew my life, literally nothing would happen if I wasn't doing 27 things at once. And look, I get it. I'm a working mom too. I totally, totally get it. But the truth is that trying to do more than one thing at a time Stresses us out, lights up our buttons, even if we don't realize it. It's incredibly insidious because we are raised in a culture that glorifies multitasking. I mean, how many times have you seen a job description that says "ability to multitask required"? No, well, I don't look at job descriptions,
0: but <laughs> well, but you know what? I'm... But I, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I know it's it's everywhere. Like, and and we think we could, should be oh my God, walking and looking at our phones or whatever, you know, we're, we're, we're driving and looking at our phones. Mom, if you're listening to this while you're driving, don't call me.
1: (laughs) 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 How many of us have a situation where we're in the kitchen? It's like, you know, after camp or after school and we're trying to make dinner and then you've got a kid either working on homework or some kind of project and they want your attention. And then we're like sneaking a peek at our phones because there's something interesting happening in the news or we're getting texts from a boss or a spouse or somebody. And then in the back of our mind, we're like, oh darn, I need to call the dentist. And so that's literally just four things right there. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you the minute that either, you know, Something you you know you're much more likely to drop or spill or break or lose something, or then the kids another kid's going to come in the room or somebody's going to have a request, and it's like you've just got too many tabs open on your computer, and then one more thing opens, and the whole thing like starts smoking and freezes up, and that's when you lose it. Mm-hmm. And so I um, am really working hard. This is an ongoing practice that I do every day to really as often as I can do one thing at a time and. Especially when I'm cooking or driving or doing something where if I make a mistake, the results could be really bad. Um, I I try to do one thing at a time. When I'm with my kids, you know, I'll say to them, "Hey, I'm making dinner. Can you hold that question for later?" Um, and look, there are definitely times during the day when I multitask, and that's when, you know, if I screw up, it doesn't matter. So I listen to an audio book while I'm sorting laundry. I knit in front of the TV. You know, I will. Go for a walk and, and maybe have a phone call or listen to an audiobook while I'm walking. Um, so there are some times when I multitask, but I find that doing one thing at a time is one of the most powerful things you can do to decrease your stress, you know, calm down those buttons and make it much less likely you're going to lose it with your kids.
2: Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with
1: Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks.
3: I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs)
0: That's interesting, you know, and and I know that the research on this shows that our brain, there's it really is no such thing as multitasking. That our brain is actually switching yes. quickly back and forth between things, which is one of the reasons why it causes so much stress. But um, this is something that I didn't, I, you know, I I knew, but I didn't really realize so much in my bones until I went on the. Silent retreat for seven days and and then I really really single tasked there um, and I got to notice how my brain responded to that over the course of a number of days, and it was really interesting to see that you know that my brain was just calmer, I felt more peaceful, all of that stuff I mean I was meditating right, which is a lot of single tasking too, but um But, you know, just kind of, it felt really good to just walk along and and just walk and just feel the air and things like that. And so sometimes it can be hard to break out of, I think, our inertia of what we're already doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm wondering kind of like, you know, I'm kind of curious thinking now about like, what are the best ways to kind of do some single tasking? Because I imagine if we're really used to always listening to a podcast when we're doing something or always doing a couple of things at once, it's going to feel weird and it's going to feel awkward at first to single task. So I'm trying to think about well, kind of what's the, what are the best ways to wade into
1: the water of single tasking? Yes, that's a great question. And I, I really recommend that people start with what's easy because it is hard. And one of the ways that it's really hard is that um, all of a sudden you're spending time with your own brain, like when you don't have 27 things going on, um, you might actually start to notice what you're thinking. And sometimes that's awesome. And sometimes you have all sorts of thoughts and feelings that you're like, oh, these are really uncomfortable. and I don't want these. Um, And then that's when we're more likely to jump into a bunch of stuff, right? To all of a sudden turn up the radio and get this and get out the phone and do this and that. And so it's a practice that it's like building a muscle, right? And so what I recommend to people is a few things. Um, One is start with what's easy. So pick one or two activities. and I think, Hunter, we've talked about this on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. Pick one or two activities that you do every day and um, decide to just do those things. And it can be little things like drinking your coffee or tea in the morning, brushing your teeth, taking a shower, driving to work yeah what you know walking to the bus whatever it is and just try to be as present as possible as you can and when your mind wanders which it will just come back to noticing what you're doing and it doesn't have to be that you're noticing anything amazing or mind-blowing you're just trying to get to a place where your mind and your body are doing the same thing and uh, pick something you enjoy don't start with a task that you find really challenging or unpleasant pick something you enjoy that 's one thing folks can do: practice every day. The second thing they can do is just start to change your belief about multitasking like many people mm-hmm. think that multitasking is the goal and that they 'll be super like adulty and productive. But if you start to pay attention, you actually feel more stressed and you 're more likely to make a mistake, like send out a tweet or a text message you didn 't mean to or hit send on an a- email that you shouldn 't hit send on or whatever you're much more likely to put your keys down and you know, break something or drop something. So we wanna to start to really change our mindset about multitasking, that multitasking is the exception rather than the rule. And when you can let go of this idea that you have to be uber productive in every moment, you'll find that you're actually sort of more effective in your daily life. So looking for those opportunities, even if it's just for like 30 seconds, literally to begin, um, where you're taking a few deep breaths before a meeting or deciding you're just going to stand, you know, and chop those vegetables and not have the radio blaring the terrible news at you while you chop the vegetables. Or, mm. and can you do it for two minutes and then stop? You know, whatever. Yeah, yeah,
0: you give yourself, you know, I think, um, I kind of think, you know, I encourage, of course, to your listener, you, uh, if you've listened to any other episode, you know that I encourage you to have your own mindfulness practice that uh, sitting, I encourage a sitting meditation practice for everyone and everything. Because one of the things I was thinking about that even if we have some kind of even really short uh, formal meditation practice, like even a minute or three minutes a day, what I find is then after that, after just sitting and doing, like literally having complete stillness and and just focusing on our breath, like the most simple thing we could possibly do, then it, I think it's possible not only because we've practiced slowing our, our attention, our minds down and, and focusing our attention, but also by contrast it's more fun to then chop the vegetables mindfully or to take the shower mindfully and things like that so i encourage you dear listener to consider
1: consider that idea as well oh i mean look meditation is the ultimate form of single tasking um and it's awesome yeah
0: yeah it makes a a a great difference i what i love about this carla is you're offering these you know you're saying sleep Self-compassion, getting support, single-tasking, and yes, these are all things we have talked about before, but it's so funny that when we think about how stopping, you know, you're offering these simple things, but saying, hey, this is actually, you know, very crucial. This is, these are, like you said, an absolute requirement to stop losing with our kids, and so we want to you know, we, we tend to want to focus on them and, and do things for them and all of these things, but these are all things that we need to do for us, but it is something we're doing for the whole family, ultimately. Uh,
1: yeah, and look, this, this is my way of figuring out whatever I can do, whatever angle I can take to get parents, and let's be honest, especially mothers, to do something for themselves because I feel like if you say to so many moms these days, Um, this is good for you, this is going to reduce your stress, you'll sleep better, you'll have more fun in life, things will be easier, you'll be able to focus better, blah, blah, you'll be more patient, but, you know, moms will be like, yeah, but I don't have time for that, and then if you say, like, if you do this, you will be a better parent for your child, then moms will perk up, and I really, if, if, if I'm off base with the gender disparity here, please call me out on it, but I really think there's a huge gender difference here, um, and so I just really want, I, that's, that's how I framed it. Like these are things you can do, uh, to make you, you to help you become more of the parent you want to be. Um, okay
0: yeah yeah and we need to do these things we'll do, and also so say we're practicing these things say we're, we're we're practicing getting enough sleep we're trying to get support doing all these things what what can we do in that moment when we're starting to like feel the irritation arise what what can we do in that moment to kind of like stop that train from like crashing into the you know the freak out zone
1: yes so uh, first of all i want parents to know that they can they can um switch, switch tracks, shut their mouths, stop at at any point in the freak out. And I think a lot of parents don't want to do that. You know, there are times when I will open my mouth to yell at my kids and instead I'll be like, you know, something like that. And it turns the moment into this kind of hilarious moment. It takes us all kind of catches us all off guard and then we can laugh about it. And I know some parents have a hard time with that idea because they feel like Um, I'm undermining my own authority, and the kids won't respect me. And, you know, then they're getting away with something. And what I would say to that is, I disagree. Like, I think that I can still maintain sort of my position as the mom, you know, my, my, my job and my husband's job is to teach our children and set limits and educate them and give them strategies when they're having a hard time and all those things. We don't let them run rough shot over the house, but yelling at them isn't going to accomplish any of that. It's just going to damage our relationship, which is sort of, which is absolutely crucial to any sort of behavior change. You know, if I want my kids to do something, I need to have a strong relationship with them. Otherwise, why would they care? Yeah. So when I can interrupt my own explosive moment, not only am I modeling what I would like them to be able to do, but I'm also sort of disrupting the tension, uh, reestablishing our relationship. And then once we're all calm, if there needs to be a conversation about somebody's behavior, either mine or theirs, that conversation will happen. So I want parents to know that you can interrupt the cycle at any moment. You can literally close your mouth mid-scream. It's a hard thing to do. But oh my can- gosh.
0: Carla, I need to share a metaphor for you about this. That a podcast guest who will actually be her episode will be airing later on. So I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna, sh- I'm gonna share her her metaphor before she shares it herself. That you will appreciate it the second time around too, I'm sure, dear listener. But oh, Carla, you're gonna appreciate it so much. I was talking to Aprilia West about taking care of uh, emotions, and she talked about this as like. <laughs> how uncomfortable it feels to stop at any point in the freak out like that it's like uh it's like you're driving she described it as you're driving on the new jersey turnpike and you have to pee and you're driving along on the turnpike and you have to pee and you get to the bathroom and you know you're peeing and you stop midstream (laughs) oh my god (laughs) <laughs> that, is amazing. that is amazing so shout out to that aprilia she'll say that's it better alert. so you should you all have to listen to that episode that's amazing
1: um, um, but yeah um, i
0: i knew you would appreciate it because it is I mean. it's hard it takes it feels weird it takes it's oh, awful it's but then so when weird. we're done we can just say yes i did this thing and i was it sounded like an idiot and i it felt horrible and weird and awkward but even though it feels weird and awkward, that's great. That's like when you're learning a new habit, that's what it feels like to to do something that's new for the brain.
1: Like learning to speak a new language. And so what I talk about is at any point, you can notice, pause, and then do literally anything else. And I think a lot of parents get really hung up on like, what do I do instead of losing it? Like, what am I supposed to say to my kid? What am I supposed to, how do I handle the moment? And what I would say to that is slow down, Don't worry about that yet. So, all I want you to do first is notice at any step along the way that you're losing it. And it's such a funny thing. Like, how did the human brain evolve that we can be having extremely strong emotions, behaving in this sort of crazy, out of control way, and really not be aware of it? That's such a funny thing to think about. Um, But, you know, I've gotten to the point where I can notice that my shoulders are getting tense, that I can notice I'm responding to my daughters in these really clipped, short, you know, what? Yeah, fine. Okay. You know, for me, that's a tell. That's a red flag going up saying, Carla, Carla, you're getting to the edge. And so now I'm much more likely than I used to be to say, you know what, guys, I'm about to yell and I don't want to do that. So I'm going to go in the other room and take some deep breaths. You can come with me if you can be calm or you can stay here and I'll come back when I'm ready. Um, But you can notice at any point. And then I just want folks to pause, just take a break. And the pause, many people in that moment start kind of planning and strategizing. What am I going to do next? How am I going to handle this moment? Um, and sometimes it's strategizing about how to respond to your child. And sometimes it's like in the back of your mind, you've got this situation with a friend or a family member. You've got some piece of work you've got to finish. And so you're kind of strategizing, how am I going to fit that in? And I don't, I, if people can just take a break from all that. And I offer a lot of strategies in the book for what to do with your mind instead, like do you need to repeat a prayer or a mantra? Do you need to sing a silly song? Do you need to run up and down the hallway of your house? Do you need to take 10 deep breaths? Like what can you do? And I guess I'm sort of jumping ahead. So there's the pause and then there's the do anything else. So sometimes in the pause, we need to do these things to give our minds a break, but we're not planning or anything. We're just kind of shutting things down for a second and then we're doing anything else. So All of those things I just mentioned, anything you can do, you have all this pent up energy from your fight, flight, freeze, freak out response. It wants to go somewhere. So for some people they prefer to kind of dampen that energy by taking some deep breaths, saying these prayers or mantras, counting, whatever it is. For other people, they want to physically get that energy out. So go do it. Like are your kids in a place where you can run around the house, like literally walk outside, run around the house and come back. Um, or do you need to sing really loudly or turn on some music and dance to get that energy? Uh, What can you do? And again, I've got a whole list of options in the book and I encourage parents to find anything that works for them. What I would say is um, some parents ask about like going and punching a pillow or yelling in the other room. And I, you know, we're all doing the best we can and obviously punching a pillow or yelling in the other room is better than doing it to your kid for sure. But that's also sort of continuing the habit of punching or yelling. You're just doing it somewhere else. So if you can find something that doesn't feel quite so aggressive and do that instead, that's what I recommend. But if that's the best you can do, do that, you know? Yeah, yeah. So what we notice, practice
0: grows stronger. So, right. yeah. so
1: mm-hmm. notice, pause, and then do literally anything else. And then when you're calm again, and it may take you five minutes, it may take you five hours, Once you're calm again, then you can apologize to your child if you need to, you can uh, have a conversation with them if they were, you know, engaging in some behavior that was problematic or concerning, but it's not their fault you lost it, right? It's, It's your responsibility to manage, but there may be some behavior that you need to address and you can go ahead and do that then.
0: Yeah, yeah. We don't necessarily, I mean, for 98% of things, we don't have to address it like right then and there. Um, These are awesome, Carla. I love this so much. Like, thank you. Like we can stop at any point in the freak out. And sometimes we think we can't, we tell ourselves a story that we can. So I hope that your listener hearing this hear from, from Carla, from myself. And it's true. We can, we can stop at any point in the freak out. We, we usually often don't, but we can. And it, and I think that's a really powerful thing to take in to, um,
1: to help ourselves, to take that step. Um, yeah, exactly. And, And just like any other skill, and it really is a skill, the more you practice it, the better you'll get at it. And now, um, I am much better at catching myself when I notice those first tells of the physical tension and the snappiness and I'm much better at catching myself uh, even you know I'll yell once and then I can say oh I didn't want to do that and I can have some a lot of compassion for myself which is key take a break you know figure out what to do next and so I promise even though it feels awkward and weird and may even feel impossible at first the more you practice it it will become your new habit
0: Yay, this is so hopeful. Thank Woo-hoo! you, Carla. Um, so yes, this is an, an awesome little book, how to not lose your beep with your kids. Or to yeah. stop losing. Sorry. To stop not...
1: losing your how beep. Stop losing your your...
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Um and and I think it's wonderful that you're, you're doing this work and that you're sharing these things and in your own, your voice, which is so unique and down to earth and, and uh, reassuring to hear that, you no, know, it's not my fault. No, I'm not alone. And, and let's stop this like shame cycle and just like figure this out. We can do this. I love it.
1: And- I would like to point out that I made it through this whole podcast without swearing once. <laughs> I did it. Yay.
0: Yes, yes, you did. But I
1: one readers that I think I said this. There's an S word in my book. So Yeah.
0: Probably more burn more burn your your than just out. in the title.
1: <laughs> yeah, there is. So if that's gonna burn your eyeballs out, don't put on some sunglasses and then read it.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Carla, thank you so much for for coming on, being a regular guest here on the Mindful Mama podcast and for doing the work you do and sharing your your voice with all of us. I love you so much and I'm so glad you got to come on.
1: Oh, Hunter, I feel the same way about you. Thank you for sharing your teachings and your wisdom and your hilarity with us on your awesome podcast.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Mindful Mama podcast. I hope that those takeaways are ground into your brain you know that is not about willpower and we all lose it sometimes i do for sure but that is such a hopeful point that we can stop at any point in the freak out yes we can and you can learn more about how to do this by joining the mindful parenting free training and it'll be a live free training with me um we will be september 16th through 19th and you can go to mindfulmamamentor.com right now and sign up for it so i hope i can connect with you and meet with you and talk to you for the mindful parenting free training week coming up soon um we record all the training so if you miss it you can hear them but it's an exciting way to jumpstart your parenting and help you stop losing your beep with your kids so much. Anyway, I hope that you don't have the opportunity. I hope that you don't have the opportunity to practice um, calming down in the face of a crazy tantrum or storm this week. I hope you have a peaceful, wonderful week, my friend. I thank you so so much for listening. Um, I'm so excited to, to be here, be, make sure you're coming right back next week. We're going to talk to talk about listening to boys with Tasha Shore. So exciting. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And, um, I look forward to connecting again. Have a wonderful week. Namaste.
3: Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do?